Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Me. 
Father, once again, is coming back, and my very good friend, Tahis, is helping me with the show tonight, and um, he's going to be blessed, as all of us are, by Pastor John's message tonight. So, set back, relax, and enjoy worship and word as we open up another episode. Episode of Reality in Christ, Worship and Word here on True Radio Network.
And welcome back to Reality in Christ Worship and Word here on True Radio Network. I'm your host, Reverend Thomas Dwayne Smith, with my uh, partner in crime today, uh, Ms. Tyhees Martinez. She's kind of sitting back and chilling. Um, I'm excited for the broadcast today because my spiritual father in the faith, a man who likes to say he's not without his flaws, but he likes to get real, and he keeps it real. But before we go any further, I'm going to open up with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God, I thank you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that you, that you, love us, and that you, because of your love for us, chose to make that lone, learning, that lone, lonely journey to Calvary, and that it was because of your love, not only for your Father, but for us, that you made that decision. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to host another world host another episode of Worship in Word. Thank you for the worship atmosphere. And Holy Spirit, we just say we welcome you in. And to all those who may listen later in the archives, we just thank you and we just bless you in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, there's been a lot going on. But God, uh, God never seems to be by what happens in this world. But you know, the thing of it is, is that we we are letting it happen. We as believers are letting it happen. You know. Many people like to say that, uh, well, we're not perfect. You know, the word perfect in the Bible isn't translated. It means mature. So when a person says they're not perfect, essentially what they're saying is that they're not mature. And if that's the case, maybe they need to grow up and mature a little bit. It really is that simple. God's not looking for flawless people. Because in our spirit, we were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's where we're perfect. But in our flesh, our flesh has to meet, has to mature. And that word flesh is translated your mind, emotion, soul, and intellect, not this outer skin that we like to point to and say, hey, that's flesh. No, that's not how it works. The word of God is very clear. There are signs that follow those who believe. Healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. And if you accidentally happen to 
take in something poisonous, you shall be okay. It doesn't mean to tempt faith. As the as the uh, preacher in Kentucky found out a few weeks ago when he was handling snakes and it bit him. And I guess, and finding out later, he refused medical treatment. But God, God created doctors for a reason as well. I'm going to read real quick while we're waiting for Pastor John. David, I am on my shelf. Sorry about that, folks. I am going to read from... uh, Isaiah 61 looks like a good passage to read. Because it's a prophecy in the coming of Jesus. Isaiah 61. There we go. I promise I'm getting there. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord in the day of vengeance of our comfort all who mourn, who grant, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving those a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, that they will rebuild the ancient ruin. They will rise up the former devastation, and they will repair the ruined city. The desolations of many generations, strangers will stand and pasture your flock, and foreigners will be your farmers and vine dressers but you will be called the priest of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God, who will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and a burnt offering, and I will faithfully give them their recompense and make an everlasting covenant with them, and their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the of the people. All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, 
as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprout, and as a garden causes the same sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. The little encouraging word right there. But folks, really in a nutshell, in this day, we have to realize and understand who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ Jesus. We are the righteousness in Christ. So if we're the righteousness in Christ, why aren't we realizing the the anointing and walking in it that we have? Why are we so afraid to walk in the anointing of God? I don't know either. I don't know either. But you know what? In this day and age, and in these last times, we're going to have to start to turn and rely and know that our strength is in him because God has given us everything that we need to fulfill every purpose that he has set before us. But we have to understand that our strength is in him and it's not in ourselves. But many people want to talk about what they accomplished when they reached these status, levels of status, when in a lot of cases, what we tend to forget, the devil knows how to manipulate situations as well. The devil knows how to manipulate situations as well. But what are you going to do about that? Devil cannot do anything to us that we do not allow him to do. And having said that, I am going to bring in my favorite pastor, because he's my spiritual dad. This man, for the last two weeks now, has been teaching a phenomenal message that's on point. And this message today, I believe, is going to just wrap it all up in a nice meatball, and hopefully he'll come back some more. But we'll see. This is the man who was the first man that I actually was able to recognize who was reaching out to me in love as a Christian male. Because growing up, that was not something that I experienced. So reality in Christ, worship and word, please join me once again in welcoming Pastor John. Back to the yes, show. Yes, sir. Pastor John, how are you? 
I am just fine. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your radio audience. Well, trust me, I appreciate you taking time out to uh, come. And today I got a very dear friend of mine who's helping me with the soundboard as well. She's on board. And um, she may have some questions after this, after you get done with your message, but I am going to put myself on mute, and you take it away, Pastor John. Okay. Thank you, sir. Of my ministry, I... Excuse me? Sorry about that, Pastor John. Um, Could you start over? Because I accidentally muted you instead of myself. Sorry about that. Okay. When I have this. All right. Well, I want to talk today about Job. Uh, Over the years I've been in ministry... Uh, and people going through a hard time, uh, I can't tell you how many, many, many dozens of times I've heard, well, I guess I'm just like old brother Job. I'm just going through a Job experience. And uh, uh, people thinking that, that what they're going through is just like Job, and yet they don't really understand what Job went through. And because they didn't understand what Job went through. They're not understanding what they're going through. So, um, uh, first of all, um, I'm going to go ahead and launch into this, but I want to encourage you in your own time, read the whole book of Job. There are 42 chapters in the book of Job. It's not that big and long of a book. None of the chapters is terribly long. There's some significant information in there. And, and I want you to understand that when you read the scriptures, when you read the Bible, accept what it says, not what you are thinking it says, or not what somebody told you they think it says. That's one of the keys to getting a good grasp and understanding of the Word of God, is read it for what it says, not for what somebody told you it says, and not for what you think it says. There's a very big difference between what you think and what God actually says. And it gets to be difficult for us because we, there's a fundamental understanding that if you're going to get the maximum out of the Word of God, you're going to have to come to an understanding of a couple of things. Number one, God is smart enough to say precisely Precisely what he means. And he, in number two, he's honest enough to mean precisely what he said. Now, those two little tiny bits of information, if you can get them firmly fixed and fastened in your head and leave them there, you will learn to be. uh, you'll come to a greater understanding of the word than you've ever had before. And that's key in understanding Job. You know, God doesn't expect us to turn off our brain, give human beings a perfectly fine brain. And because he gave us a perfectly fine brain, he actually expects us to use it. He expects us to think. There's a passage in in Isaiah that's come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. 
Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. God wants us to reason with him. That doesn't mean God expects us to argue over the fine points of doctrine and detail with him. Let us reason together. Number one, God is smart enough to say precisely what he means. Number two, he is honest enough to mean precisely what he says. Understand that, and when you approach the word of God, you will hear God in a brand new way. You won't hear God with the voice of, um, you know, a mom or a pastor or, you know, a grandma or grandpa or somebody that has had a spiritual influence on you. You'll hear God because you're hearing God, not because somebody told you this is what he means when he says this. So I want you to read the book of Job with your brains in gear and and able to understand that God is able to say exactly what he means and mean what he says. So the first thing I want to point out about good old brother Job is that Job had what I call eye trouble. There are 42 chapters in the book of Job. And of those 42 chapters, Job is speaking in just 18 of those chapters. Now, a good number of years ago, I was doing a study on Job, and and something began to dawn on me as I was reading through there trying to figure out what was going on with Job because I didn't really get it at that time, but something began to stir in my mind, and I went back and read and reread all of the chapters in which Job spoke, and I took out a red pen, and there are five personal pronouns in the English language. I, me, my, myself, and mine. I, me, my, myself, and mine. Those are the five personal pronouns in the English language. Brother Job, in his 18 short chapters in this 42-chapter book, Job speaks those five words no less than 700 times. Now, I don't care how you slice it or how you look at it, that's a lot. That is a lot of me talking about me because I'm concerned about me. Me, 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 And Job was talking about Job just an awful lot. He was very, very concerned about Job. So Job talked about himself using those five personal pronouns. And he talked about himself and he talked about himself, but he talked about, but after... God said Job was a perfect and upright man, one that he feared God and hated evil. In fact, God said that twice. But let's think together for a moment. Think about the last chapter in the book. Not the end, but the last one we just read. The last chapter, talking about who God is. Who God is. Who our enemy is, who God is. See, we have to understand the character and nature of the Father. He's not some giant human. Praise God, he's not like us. Oh, hallelujah. That that will, you can just start shouting for a minute. That'll do good. God does 
think the best of people. And he always speaks the best over people. Listen, if God referred to you the way you refer to you, you wouldn't have a hope in the world. You would have absolutely no hope of surviving anything. You would have no hope of improving anything in your life. When God created this universe that we live in, uh, read the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. You will find that God said, and it was so, and 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 God said, and it was so, over and over and over and over. Whenever God wanted something, he spoke it, and then it became the way God creates. That's the way God builds things by using his faith. God said, and it was so. God doesn't throw words around like we do. That's another place where the, oh, praise God goes. God speaks of things that don't yet exist as though they were already a reality. It says that in Romans 4, 17, that God who gives life to the dead calls those things which be not as though they were. That's how God talks, and his words come to pass. What would your life be like if God spoke about you the way you speak about you? What would your life be like? What would your world be like if God spoke to you, spoke about you as if you were as big of an idiot as you speak about you? I gave you a moment there to say amen. <laughs> Never mind. I'll just keep talking. What if God spoke about Job the way he really was? Have you considered Job? This is what the book of Job says. Have you considered Job? He likes to think he's my servant, but numbs both like him or a dime a dozen. He's immature, irreverent, has little respect for the thing of God, walks in fear all the time, and gets along pretty well with most kinds of evil, and he's a selfish pig. That's what God would have said about Job if God was speaking about Job the way Job spoke about Job. Job did not like Job. Job didn't trust Job. Job didn't trust what God was doing inside of Job. God didn't speak well of Job and about you and me. What possible hope would he or we ever have? There'd be no way we could improve in any in any fashion. Well then, Pastor, how come God sent the devil after him? Seriously? Did God do that? Let's take a biblical look at Job. Let the scripture explain itself. Using our own God-given ability to reason and ask questions. How about that? See, that's just a perfectly good deal. Job 1.5 says, And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them. This is Job's kids were feasting. And rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Job had ten children. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. You see what Job is doing there? He's sacrificing He's making a sin sacrifice every day 
for all of his children. Now, there's 365 days in a year, and he has 10 children. That's 3,650 animals going up in smoke every year. Ten animals a day. He's got ten children, seven sons and three daughters. Find one single verse anywhere in the scripture that says a man is supposed to offer sacrifice for his grown children's sins just in case they might have sinned. You can't find a scripture that says to do that. Job had apparently reached a place in his life where he had neither faith in his sacrifices nor faith in God. The formality of religious observance became all that he had instead of substance with his faith. The last part of Romans 14.23 says that whatever is not of faith is sin. Job himself was sinning by sacrificing for the sins of his children. Now, Job was a very wealthy man. He had a lot of livestock. And he needed a lot of livestock to go sacrificing a giant herd of them every year. I mean, 10 animals a day, just kill them and burn them up, 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 kill them and burn them up. That's an, I mean, he was a busy guy. Job sacrificed by bleeding out and burning whole 10 animals, either goats, sheep, or cattle, all males, each and every day. That is a lot of crispy critters every day. Job committed the same sin over and over and over and over and over, based on maybe and based on fear. Now, Job committed the same sin over and over and over. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Does that sound familiar? Like you commit the same sin over and over and over and over and over and over. Oh, well, I just can't help it. Uh, That's where the baloney goes. There ain't no such thing as, oh, I can't help it. Yes, you can. If you can't say no to you, who do you expect to control you? If you think God's going to come along and control you, how's that working for you so far? Uh, huh. I didn't think yep. so. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. Job was not this wonderful, perfectly godly fellow who was just minding his own wonderful, perfectly godly business with his own wonderful, perfectly godly family and his own wonderful, perfectly godly friends when God, for reasons Job could not possibly have understood, turned him over to Satan right out of the clear blue just to prove a point. And yet that is the way Job has been preached in thousands of churches all across the world for generations. Well, brother, you just never know what God's going to do. If you don't know what God's going to do, it's because you're not reading the book. Isn't it amazing? God has a bestseller on the market. Whew, that's amazing. 
Did you know that since the beginning of the New York Times bestseller list, the New York Times started putting out a list of bestsellers once a month, and uh, back in the heyday of that newspaper in the mid 1800, 1800, the Bible has been on the New York Times bestseller list every single month since the mid 1800s. The Bible, God's book, is on the New York Times list of bestsellers. It's still on there. In 2014, it's still on there. In another few decades, it'll be 200 years every single month. It's still on there. That's impressive to me. So Job must have known all from the start that all this horrible stuff was connected to his fear. But he didn't have much of a clue about why his worry couldn't prevent its happening. Chapter 3, verse 25 and 26, Job is talking about this very thing. He says, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come to me. I was not in safety Neither did I have rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. He said, but Lord, I was worrying as hard as I could, and it happened anyway. Amazing. Just amazing. He said, I was afraid, and it happened anyway. I was really afraid, and it came to pass in spite of it. I didn't feel safe. I was restless. I couldn't keep quiet about it at all, and trouble showed up anyway. I worried as much as I possibly could about my kids and my goods and my money, but it didn't do a bit of good. Trouble came anyway. Isn't it amazing that we are so consistent about treating fear and worry as something that might, maybe this time, actually do some good? In 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26, find something very interesting. In meekness, it says, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves if God perhaps will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. It appears that there are people who oppose their own best interests Go look in the mirror, point at that guy in there and say, he's talking about you this time. Isn't that amazing? How does one do that? Worry and fear. Worry and fear are among the best ways you have of opposing your own best interest. I think Job qualified as one that opposed himself. What's God's desire for someone that opposes himself? That he repent and come to acknowledge the truth and that he recover himself out of the devil's snare. Really simple. Very simple, very straightforward. God expects you to repent, and he expects you to walk out of the trap that you have walked into. Well, Lord, I'm hoping you're going to get me out of here. I'm hoping you're going to deliver me. Quit your stinking whining. Get your thumb out of your mouth. And get on with 
accepting and moving on the deliverance that God has already paid quite Amen. Simple. Really, really, really quite simple. <clears throat> How do you get to be under the attack of Satan? Fear, worry, which breeds and feeds unbelief. You get under there because you have more faith in your fear than you have in God's ability to rescue you from your fear. Only faith's opposite can get you out from under the protecting hand of God, and faith's opposite is simple fear. Now, there was a day. (laughs) See, now we're going to look at, at what happened when Satan came before Job. This is this is one of those places. See there, I told you, God, God pointed Job out to Satan. Said, here you go, Satan, how about this one? Not what happened at all. Let's read. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. You see the difference between the sons of God, Bible scholars, more knowledgeable than I agree that that refers to the angels and Satan. Satan came among them. He was not one of them. Well, why was Satan there? Satan came before the throne of God. Why was he there? Obviously, he had a legal right to be there. We'll talk about that more a little bit later. And the Lord said to Satan, Whence comest thou? That's King James. It means, where do you come from? A lot of people have deduced from the fact that God asked the first question that God must have been directing Satan's attention to Job and giving his permission to attack. (laughs) Not so. Now, you see, here's a really good question. Does God know everything? Correct answer is yes, just in case you were curious. Yes, God knows everything. God knows everything. God knows everything, and he asks the question, there's only two potential answers for why that question was asked. Number one, it's a stupid question. If I know the answer to something and I ask a question about that, number one, it's a stupid question. Number two, it's a leading question. Now, I don't know what kind of a household you grew up in. I grew up in a household that uh, I I was quite convinced that my mother actually did have eyes in the back of her head and she could see through uh, ceilings and walls and all kinds of things, and she just knew what was going on. Uh, And when I was a kid, there were several things that my mother hated to hear the sound of. Number one was slamming a door. I mean, if you're going to slam a door, uh, you can expect mom to come after you. And when mom came after you, she was short, but she was fast. When mom came after you, it wasn't going to be good for you. It wasn't going to be good for you at all. Another thing she hated was the sound of children jumping on bed. I don't know why she hated that, because it is an awful lot of fun. But she hated to hear the sound of children jumping on the bed. Now, there were more than a few times when I went upstairs and I closed the door at the bottom of the steps, making certain 
that, of course, it's not possible to hear anything because not only is that door closed, but the bedroom door was closed too. So between two closed doors, it's not possible to hear anything, right? Maybe not. Um, I got to jumping on the bed, and oh, my goodness, it was really fun. And I didn't recognize that me jumping as hard as I was jumping and going up as high as I was jumping and coming down, way down and bouncing on the bed, I didn't recognize that all of that bouncing was raising the legs of the bed off of the floor and slamming them into the floor when I came down. I mean, I was working that bad boy. I didn't recognize all that noise was happening. And pretty soon, the door at the bottom of the steps opened, and my mother said, Johnny, what are you doing? <laughs> um, um, nothing. <laughs> right. Are you jumping on the bed? Question. Either a stupid question or a leading question. Did mom know what I was doing? Oh, yeah. Mom knew full well exactly what I was doing. What are you doing, Johnny? Um, nothing. Are you jumping on the bed? Um, I sat down to take my shoes off <laughs> from way up in the air. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, quit it. How does she do that? How does she know? I mean, I closed both doors. I was really careful that no sound could travel down the stairs. I was careful, and she busted me anyway and never, ever saw me jump on the bed. My mom asked questions. What are you doing? God asked Satan a question. Where do you come from? Was God directing Satan's attention to Job? Absolutely not. God does know everything, and he doesn't have the capacity to ask a stupid question, much unlike his children. Me and thee, brother and sister, can ask a really wide variety of amazingly stupid questions. We're pretty consistent like that. If we believe God knows everything... God is using questions to let Satan know that he knows exactly what's going on and exactly on whom and where the boundaries have been drawn. God's not using questions to direct Satan's attention to Job. So Satan could say, oh, hey, look at that. I overlooked that one. Let me see what we can do. Satan's response to God's question I'm going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down in it. Hey, man, i just been cruising the ones, you know, hanging out at 7-Eleven, smoking cigarettes with the boys, you know, maybe have a little beer. Oh, okay, okay, not beer, maybe soda with the guys. I'm not really doing anything. You know, I'm just, I'm just hanging out, just cruising. Yeah. Me, jumping on the bed, Johnny. What are you doing? Uh-oh, busted. And Mama question again. Would you be jumping on the bed, perhaps? <clears throat> um, um, 
in in mom's question, would you perhaps be jumping on the bed? We can hear God the Father saying, would you perhaps be considering my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, the perfect and upright man, one that fears God and hates evil? How in the world did she know? Did she really know everything like she told me she did? Or was she fishing for information? Was this her sly way of suggesting that jumping on the bed might be fun? And I should try it as soon as I get some time? I don't think so. No, no, man. No, no, Mom. I, I've just... I just sat down on the bed, you know, I just from way up in here. But I didn't tell her that. It might have bounced a little bit when I did that. Ah, poor stupid mom. She'll never figure that one out. Beds were not made for jumping, Johnny. Stop it. Now I'm going to have to find something else to do. Most of us have had some kind of a similar scene enacted in our lives at one point or another. You know, our parents haven't had to see what we were doing in order to know what we were doing. God, on the other hand, sees everything and knows everything. And he said, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth, the perfect and upright man, one who respects God and hates evil. You can hear God asking this question, telling Satan that he knows full well where he's been spending his time and exactly what he's been thinking about. Verses 9 and 10 tell us that when Satan answered the Lord and said, Say, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and about his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his substance has increased in the land. This is not God telling Satan all about Job's stuff and the hedges built up around all the blessings of God. This is Satan telling God all about it. God told Satan what a great job, what a great guy Job was. He never mentioned how much stuff Job had, nor how the hedge of his face protected it all. This is Satan proving that he had indeed been spending considerable time working on Job getting him to tear down his own hedges through fear. Now, look carefully at verse 11. You'll see Satan trying to talk God into destroying Job and all of his stuff just to prove whether or not Job would remain faithful and not curse God. See, and Christians all over the place are thinking that this is the way God does. Well, you know, God turned Satan loose on Job just to, just to prove that Job was a better man than that. No, that's not what happened. And that's not what's happening in your life either. Did you notice whose idea that was? Okay, God, if you touch him, if you you touch all that he has, he'll curse you to your face. Remember, do you see whose idea that was? That was Satan talking to God. Satan trying to talk God into destroying everything Job had. And again... God tells Satan where the boundaries are. Put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. Satan said that to God. Put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He'll curse you to your face. Now you see the next verse, verse 12, we see God telling Satan that he knows full well Job has withdrawn his hedges and that they no longer protect everything but just Job himself. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, All that he has is in your power. Doesn't say, 
I'll give it to your power. It says it already is in your power. Only upon himself do not put forth your hand. God said to Satan, listen, Boyle, I know that the boundaries have been moved and Job moved them. But he's still got enough faith to protect himself. Keep your hands off my boy. Keep your hands off my boy. And then here comes old bad news. Job chapter 1, 13 through 19, all of Job's possessions, including his children, were under the power of Satan, who is known as the destroyer, to be taken at Satan's will. God couldn't stop it because Job himself removed his own protective hedges. Job did that. There was a day when the sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. They explained the story of the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another also, saying, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, and has burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone all throughout this whole bunch of verses. One person was able to run fast enough to get away from the destruction. One person brought more bad news, more bad news, more bad news, more bad news. And finally, Job's sons and daughters. And behold, a great wind came from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell you. Do you hear the depth of the bad news? Listen, your life might have some bad news in it, but so far, have you lost everything? And even if you have, you've still got God, and he's still got you. There's so much tragedy coming upon a person, coming upon Job, it's hard to comprehend, much less deal with it. I've had some tragedies come upon me in my life. Many of you have had tragedies come upon you in your life. But everything all at once, my goodness, how tough can it get? See there, Pastor? Now, listen to what Job says after all of this stuff. And Job arose and tore his mantle and shaved his head and fell down on the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. And naked shall I return there, says the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See there, Pastor. God really did do all that stuff. It says so right there in the Bible. I'm going to make a statement that's probably going to confuse you, but which I believe I can clear up shortly. Everything in the Bible is true, but not everything the Bible says is the truth. I'm going to use this example right here that we just read about Job. I'm going to sh- I'm going to show you what I mean. <clears throat> that sounds like devil talk to me, brother. Either it's not or it is. You can't you can't divide up the word like that. Second Timothy two fifteen says, "Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." When does a workman need to be ashamed? When he doesn't study, when he doesn't rightly divide the truth. So how do we go about rightly dividing the truth? Are there rules that govern such a thing? 
correct answer is yes. Okay? If there are rules that govern, govern these kind of things, what are they? There are rules that govern the study of the word. No, they're not like mystical cosmic regulations without which you will surely go to hell. There are rules of logic and understanding. First, we must know where we are in God's scheme of things. We're living under the new covenant, ratified by the blood of Jesus, sealed and administered by the Holy Spirit. That means the scriptures that were written for those under the old covenant are designed for our instruction and encouragement, but they are not specifically designed to teach us how to function under the new covenant. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I've met people in my life that refuse to read anything except Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because that's just all about Jesus, and that's, that's all we need is just all about Jesus. No, that's not all we need. The Bible didn't give us the whole Bible so we could ignore chunks of it. We can't take portions of the Scripture and treat them as if they're not valid. Their validity is in teaching us and giving us examples not in giving us the specifics of our covenant. We must study enough to know the balance of Scripture in the many things it addresses. We must know the character and the nature of God. If you don't know the character and the nature of God, you are going to pray crossways to the Spirit of God every single time. That's a lot of wasted prayer. That's a lot of hurtful prayer. That's a lot of unbelief flailing around trying to make something happen. Everything in the Bible is true, but not everything the Bible says is the truth. Job said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor did he charge God foolishly. It is true Job said this, but is this a statement of truth? Part of the nature and character of God to give? Absolutely. Is it part of the nature and character of God to take away what he has given? You can't find that anywhere in the Bible. No, that's not part of who he is and what he does. God is not a fickle giver. He doesn't give with one hand and take away with the other. God gives, period. But Job said God did it. Why did he say that? Simple. Because he believed God did it. He believed God did it. Job needed a revelation of God that he didn't have. So why did he believe something is wrong? Probably for the same reason the rest of us do, because he didn't know. I have believed some really goofy things in my life. I'm sure unlike you, who were probably born more spiritual than me. Just like the rest of us, Job and the people around him filled in the blanks in their ignorance with what they could figure out. God, in his great grace and mercy, does not hold us accountable for what we do not know. Isn't that a relief? That's where the amen goes. Job was actually a story that was written before Moses handed the law to the people of Israel. So he didn't even have a law. He didn't have anything written down. He just kind of had to figure things out. 
And it says, in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Romans 7, 8 says, for without the law, sin is dead. Job didn't know. He had no revelation of Satan and very little revelation of God. That's the thing Job needed more than he needed anything else, was God to simply reveal himself. Job 1, 7, and 8 reads exactly like Job 2, 2, and 3. As we discussed earlier, we can see God asking leading questions of the devil and speaking forth his wonderful confession concerning his servant Job. Oh, God loved Job. Oh, God loved Job. Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him in all the earth. A perfect and upright man, one that loves God and hates evil. Have you considered? Oh, my goodness, isn't that Job something? And still he holds fast his integrity, although you move me against him to destroy him without cause. Satan tried to move God against Job, but God said there's no cause. Even in the midst of all of Job's fear, all of Job's unbelief, God says, I don't have cause to destroy Job. This is not a reason to destroy him. I think that's absolutely fascinating. That God didn't think Job's fear and unbelief was reason enough to destroy him to destroy everything he had and make a public spectacle of him. <clears throat> Job 2.6, uh, this is after all that first stuff happened. Satan came back before God. Again, the same conversation. Where you been? I'm just cruising around, you know, cruising the ones, hanging out at 7-Eleven, smoking cigarettes with the guys. You know, nothing big. i just been hanging out. <laughs> you know, just been hanging out. No, no, I'm not doing nothing. Have you considered my servant Job that he's a perfect man? God hates evil. There's none like him in all the earth. And then God goes on to say, you tried to move me against him without a cause. And now behold, he is in your hand. It doesn't say God put him in your hand. It says he is in your hand. At first, Job sucked in his faith until it was only enough for himself. And then when all the bad news came, Job sucked in his faith even further. And the only thing he had left was just barely enough to keep him alive. And for years, Bible Bible scholars have looked at this particular passage and said, see there, turn Job over to Satan. No, he didn't. God notified Satan that the boundaries have, you know, Satan already knew the boundaries had been moved because he was instrumental in moving them. And God let Satan know, I know where the boundaries are, bucko. He's given you permission, but you can't take his life. You can't take his life. God told Satan the first time what the boundaries were. He told Satan only upon himself, putting out forth your hand, literally everything Job had and everything his family had had been gained by Job, using his faith for the blessing of God. Started that old nasty, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, and killed all those animals for nothing. 
the scripture is said upon himself. That was the limit to which Job's faith had withdrawn. Now in Job 2, verse 6, it says, save his life. After all of Job's blessing and family and possessions had been taken away from him, he withdrew his faith even further until it no longer protected his body. It was just barely enough to keep him alive. And that was it, just barely enough to keep him alive. God didn't give Satan permission to hurt Job. He was only telling Satan what Satan already knew, where the boundaries are, not to go beyond them. But pastor, I don't get it. Why did God keep telling Satan about the boundaries? We can see in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 19, that Satan at one time tried to take over the very throne of God and for his efforts was kicked out of heaven. Satan is much like, is as much like an illegal bully as the mafia ever hoped to be. And like all bullies, he constantly pushes in where he has no right to be. God's not the kind of guy that pushes up with a bunch of monkey business on his watch. If we choose to, that's up to us. God simply told Satan, I know the degree to which Job's faith has retreated, and I want you to know that I know. The middle parts of the book of Job, though interesting, do not hold enough of the issues that we need to look at for the purpose of discussing the question, what about Job's problems? I encourage you to read the whole book. There's much in there to learn, even though we're not going to stop there right now. Chapter 38. Then Job, then the Lord answered Job. See, all throughout the first 37 chapters, is Job talking and his friends talking? And when his friends are talking, wow, some of the stuff these guys said. <clears throat> Job, I've been quiet for as long as I could, but I had a dream and the hair stood up on the back of my neck. It must have been supernatural. And I know that the reason all this stuff happened, God's doing this to you because you're not as good a guy as you've been telling everybody you are all these years. God's punishing you, brother. And Job said nothing. And another one of his friends spoke up and said, Oh, Job, I had a vision. Oh, it was a vision. My, my, My eyes were all misty and something supernatural came out of the mist. And I knew what had happened to you. God is punishing you. God's doing this to you because there's sin in your life. And the last guy to speak, a young guy, he said, you know, I've been giving all you older fellas time to talk. And he said, now it's my turn. And he said, Job, You're not as righteous as everybody thinks you are, and that's why God's doing all this to you. God's doing this to you because you're not righteous. You're just not right. There's there's something wrong with you, and God's doing this to you. And by the time verse, and and Job just takes it all, and he, he argues with some pieces of it, and he says to these guys, you're not right. You're not right. You're not right. But they just keep hammering at him. At, at one point, Job's wife came to him and he said, oh, give it up, curse God and die. <laughs> wow. That's kind of, thanks, honey. 
appreciate the advice. That'll work, yeah, or not. I don't know, probably not. <laughs> By the time verse 38 came along, or chapter 38 came along, the Lord answered Job. Up to this time, God hasn't said a thing. Job has assumed that God's doing it to him. All of Job's friends have assumed that God's doing it to him. Verse 30, chapter 38, verse 1 says, And the Lord answered Job. The word of God was finally given. And in the word of God, we see revelation concerning his nature, his character, and his power. What happens when someone hears the word of God? Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What happens when someone hears the word of God? Faith happens. After God, Job heard the word and faith came. Job was the only one around there God would listen to. In Job 42, 8, God said to Job's friends that they needed to go and get Job to sacrifice for them because him I will accept. And why did God say that? God goes on to explain to these four friends of Job, because you have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. Job heard the word of God, which is the only thing that brings faith to the heart of a person. After that, Job's was the only prayer to which God would listen, and Job's the only sacrifice he would accept. God said concerning Job's friends, you guys have not spoken of me the thing which is right. Read those chapters in which Job's friends spoke. There's quite a few of them, and they said a lot of stuff. Every one of them agreed, God did this, God did this, God did this, God did this, God did this. Even when the young guy guy that spoke last, right before God to Job God looks at the young guy and says who is this that tries to counsel without knowledge you know who is this stupid runt (laughs) how did they let someone that ignorant have the microphone amazing what did they say that God might object to God did it 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 All of these guys spoke, and every one of them said, Job had sinned, Job is not righteous, Uh, Job's children, God destroyed Job's children because they were sinners, Job's life is a mess because he's a sinner, Uh, on and on, by the blast of God they perish, and at long last God begins to speak. He didn't speak to those who already thought they had all the answers. He only spoke to the one guy who was absolutely certain he needed answers, Job. Chapter 42.10, the mess Job was in, is called captivity. And the Lord turned again the captivity of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. It says in Psalms 126.1 and 4, that God is the one who will turn again our captivity. Throughout the book of Judges, God's people went into captivity over and over, but each time it was God who released them from their captivity by his grace and his power. There is a principle in the word. If God says something once, 
you can stake your life on it. If he says something twice, that something is so important that you had better stake your life on it. If God says something as many times as three times in the word, oh my goodness, why are you not listening? There's something wrong with your brain if you're not listening when God says something as many as three times. God releases his people from captivity. The Bible says that no less than 32 times. 32 times God is called the one who releases his people from captivity. He's not the one that sends them into captivity. And it was the Lord that gave him twice as much as he had before. And and the Bible says before all his junk happened, he was the greatest of all the men of the East. He was the richest guy in that whole part of the country before. And it says, when it was all over, God gave him twice as much as he had before. Well, pray for me, Pastor. I'm going through a Job experience. Me and old Job are just like baloney. A Job experience cannot happen to you today. It's not possible. Why? Back then, remember, Satan went before the throne of God? That's impossible for Satan to do today. It's impossible. Why is that impossible? Because Jesus shed his blood and took his blood to the heavenly mercy seat and has cleansed the heavenly mercy seat and cleansed all of the heavenly utensils of worship. That's what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. His blood has cleansed all of that. His blood has cleansed all of that. Now, the devil can tell you, well, I'm going to tell on, I'm going to tell God about you. I'm going to tell God that you're messing up. No, he's not. You know, the closest the devil can come <clears throat> to telling God anything is to tell one of God's children. And the tragedy of that is, one of God's children is probably not self-disciplined enough to keep his or her mouth shut. Yeah, I didn't think that was going to go over good. We'll we'll keep moving. <laughs> there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Job one six and two twenty or two one. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan came also among them. George Foreman, you know, the boxer, George Foreman, famous guy. Uh, he sells his grill that he put his name on. He has 12 sons. George Foreman has 12 sons, and I'll be darned if he didn't name every one of them George. So not only do all of George Foreman's sons have the same name as George, they look like George. Now, I'm your average elderly white guy. I don't look like George. If George had a meeting of the sons of George and John Anderson came among them, it wouldn't be hard to figure out I wasn't one of George's kids. (laughs) It would not be tough to figure that one out. Satan came and went freely before the throne of God. He had a right to do so then. He does not have a right to do so now. Jesus came 
and Jesus conquered. Jesus came and Jesus conquered. Revelation chapter 12 says there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, accused, past tense, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan's place is no longer found in heaven. He can't get there. He can't go before the throne of God and make a nuisance of himself. He can't go before the throne of God and accuse you or anybody else. Jesus has taken care of the whole thing. Now, here's a pretty good checkup. You see, we, we people, we need to check up on ourselves. The truth of it is we really can't demand to be right. If I demand that I'm right, then, of course, somebody else has to be wrong. Now, I'm okay with somebody else has to be wrong as long as that somebody isn't me. And it's really impossible to demand how right I am and walk in love at the same time. That's really impossible. If somebody's trying to be the doctrinal or prophetic plumb line for the church, it's a near total certainty they are not walking in love. Can anybody tell whose side you're on? That was where the amen was supposed to go. I didn't quite hear that, but that's okay. Um, Job went through a bunch of stuff. It's not possible for you to go through a similar experience. Not possible. Because Jesus has settled it all. He has completely settled it all. He didn't leave anything unsettled. So good for you, good for me, good for everybody that has made Jesus Lord of their life. There's absolutely nothing that we can't do. There's absolutely nothing we can't overcome. That's where the amen goes. Church, that's where the amen goes. Amen. Well, Thomas? Yes, sir. I appreciate you, brother. Appreciate the opportunity to speak to your folks. Well, you always deliver a powerful message. Thais, do you have any questions or comments for Pastor John? Because I know you've been listening and taking in the message. Do you have any questions? Well, she might be on mute. Oh, Cam, sorry. Oh, there you are. 
<laughs> no, okay, I have so. no questions. I'm I'm good. I listened and actually he was touching points on a lot of things that I have been teaching some of the girls that I work with on a daily basis. Cool. So it's kinda of like it's kinda of like confirmation. That's awesome. Right. That's awesome. It's always good to have what you're doing confirmed, isn't it? Right, right. I I I work with a lot of uh, broken young women, and my favorite saying is, is you know, everybody talks about Job, and Job got exactly what he opened the door to because he feared. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, so it's 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 pretty uh, actually confirming too that I was kind of on the right track. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, it's one of the hard things that we have to tell people. You know, it would be really nice if we could just say nicey, nicey things, and isn't that wonderful, and isn't that sweet, and isn't that nice? But not everything in the whole wide world is sweet and nice. And not everything in the Bible is sweet and nice. Exactly. Exactly. When God tells the truth, he he doesn't really care too much whether or not we get our itty-bitty feelings hurt. Right. There are stories right. in the Bible that I was teaching these young ladies and I'm like, look, I mean, they're, 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 I said, but you have to not read just one part of the book. You have to, the whole book is yep. intertwined. And yep, exactly. I, I agree with Pastor that there is a lot of segregating of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's dangerous. It is. It is most dangerous because, you know, um, my mom, I love her, she always says if you're going to read part of it, you should read it all because, you know, if you don't believe, if you only believe parts of it, you don't believe any of it. Yeah, that's right. That's the bottom line. Yeah, and when we get our little religious eraser out and make some of it pass away, uh, we are in more trouble than we know. And, you know, state of the world is telling us how much trouble we are in. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm, I'm not going to touch on it, but state of the world shows us how bad we have. We've taken God out of schools. We've taken God out of everything. And, yeah. you know, the money says in God we trust is, but, you know, I tend to think that the God that they're trusting is the God of money. Yeah. Yeah, so, yep. yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. You know, we have to be very careful and not put God in a box, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then the Bible also speaks on that God is not a God that tempts us. So in the mm-hmm. book of Job, when people are saying that God um, threw these plagues on Job, well, fear brought that on. Fear is a monster that lives in people, and to me, I always tell people, you know, fear is false evidence of appearing to be real. And if you run through it, you're gonna you're gonna see that it wasn't real. It wasn't mm-hmm. real. That's right. That's right. It wasn't real. Yeah. And and all the things that we fear, you know, I've, um, I I had a an aunt, my mother's sister was a world-class worrier. She worried about everything. And uh, later in her life, I asked her, of all the stuff that you've worried about my whole life and most of yours, how many of those things have actually happened? She said, oh, almost none. And I said, does that tell you anything? 
She said, I don't know. Worry works? Uh, no. <laughs> no, not at all. Worry doesn't work at all. It's just you're exactly. wasting an awful lot of emotional energy on nothing. Exactly. And also the, the, the thing with that is is that, you know, basically, you know, God has been talking in the New Testament about, you know, how why are you going to worry? First of all, what do you gain? What is it that you learn? What can you, can you gain an extra day of life with worry? Can you gain extra food on your table? Can you gain all of your bills paid? Then sit down and relax. Oh my gosh, yeah. sit down. That's right. Because he says that he will clothe you better than King Solomon. Does that, yeah. I mean, that's, that, that was King Solomon in the Bible looked at, appeared to be the richest king in all of the Bible. And he said, I will dress you in better garments than that. So why mm-hmm. are we not trusting God? Why yeah. fear in, intertwines with a lot of things. I mean, the girls in the ba- with the background that I work with, they come from fear-based relationships, fear-based lifestyles. And in sure. the end, in the end, you have to break that fear. And I was just reading a book on how even doubt becomes the shadow that lures over you. And if you don't learn to control and with the word of God, fight with the word of God, fight through the word of God, there is a prophetic resounding that can come out of our mouth. We can prophesy to ourselves. Yes. Say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to live this. You battle in the war, in this war with the word of God. And and the Bible says that angels excel in strength. So basically the Bible is the prime directive. And to me, this is like the prime directive. This is how you go. You You don't translate it to the way you have to. You read it and you understand it. You have to make notes to break it down. Yes, do it. But understand that God speaks to everybody the same way mm-hmm. yeah, through his book. He does. That is so awesome. And I just want to say thank you for what you're doing for those young women. And, you know, I, I don't know how many of them express to you how thankful they are and how lucky they are to have you. But I want to tell you that that you're, you're prime. You're absolutely prime, and and I thank you for what you're doing. Well, you're there. It's a calling that I believe. Um, there's no thanks because I I feel if we don't see them through God's eyes, if we don't start seeing people through God's eyes, God left. He said the greatest gift was love. Yeah, and yeah. I'm watching the world as. <laughs> as we're losing the love and mm-hmm. that includes Christians alike um, I'm going to put it out that. there because I, I have seen some things and I'm like right we're supposed to be emulating God's love the greatest gift is to love your neighbor as you love it, it was one of the commandments it was, it, it was an added commandment and it's the thing that makes the world go round because you can't do anything else if you don't love anybody and if you don't yep. love yourself you can't love anybody else Exactly right. So looking at these girls in the eyes of God, loving them, holding on to them, that is my greatest joy. I mean, and that's thanks enough watching as these girls fly 
and learn how to fly and learn how to run on their own. I have one that's getting married. I'm so excited. After it's been, I get to perform her marriage, so I'm excited. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Yeah. That is so good. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, so. You know, you know what, I'm going to jump in here for a minute because you, you guys are right on. You guys are right on the point in what you're saying. But I'm going to add this little caveat to what you just said, uh, uh, Taihees. You you just don't worry about what other the Christians are doing. You continue to be the expressed example of God's love. And you know everything else will fall into place because it'll be it'll act as your being a witness, because witness the true term to witness does not mean to go out and tell someone about Christ. To witness or to be a witness is to um, see, observe something, and be ready to testify about it. Amen. So you actually have to let your life be a witness of Christ so that the people who see your life as a witness can go back and tell their friends about it, say, hey, that, that woman over there has something that I think we need, and leave it at that. Because let me, let me tell you something. It, it baffles me how there's a lot of hand-wringing going on among the body of Christ with everything that's happening with this administration and everything like that. Oh, he's all-powerful. They're all-powerful. They're killing people left and right. And I'm like, dude, the Word of really? God says don't fear those that can kill the body. Fear, those, fear the one that can kill the body in hell. Body, the whole thing. Am I right, Pastor John? That's right. And see, the 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 whole thing is, is I I don't look at other people. I don't have to. I don't want to, honestly. And it's not that I'm ignoring them, but I have my hands full, and my whole my whole desire is to show love. Love is what's going to change the world. I would love to leave when I pass in 40, 50, 60 years a legacy of love. That's it. Well, you know what? All you do is just do it. Go ahead, Pastor mm-hmm. John. Yeah. That's, I have a question, what, though. That's what Mother Teresa left behind. Yeah. You know, she, she became famous love. for taking care of those of those orphans in, in India and Bangladesh. Yep. And, uh, you know, she... she got a name for doing that, but all she did was just reach out in love to the people that nobody else is loving. And she did right. it daily, 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 daily. And uh, right. she never did quit. No. And yeah. and I get encouraged when I see the girls. Yes, there are some struggles. Let's be real. But mm-hmm. because today's society pulls on what is wrong, being right and what is right, being wrong. And in all honesty, some of these girls are under the age of 18 and they're in, still in the situation. And I'm looking at these young ladies going, but honey, have you read your Bible today? Because what did your Bible tell you? You know, and it's very difficult. You know, we, 
we all pray together, we all stand together, and, you know, I'm mom of like 17 different adopted children, some of them up almost my age, you know, but I'm mom. Yeah, I hear you. And I love it. And it's a job that I go to bed every night and I'm like, thank you, God. I can't name all my kids, but just watch over them. That's right. That's right. You don't have to name them. God knows who they are. Exactly. And he's bringing more. He's actually bringing more. I've actually bring, I I have four other young ladies that have contacted me via Facebook and Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't go out there and I don't, but it's word of mouth through the other girls that have been talking and they've been pulling up and talking with me and that's mm-hmm. what we do. Yeah. Amen. I have a question that's kind of a whole just in the last few minutes, Pastor John, that I want to ask you. Because this is something I've been thinking about. You know how you know how the myth that is perpetuated that um, when, like, say, People go to hell, and the devil's going to be in hell tormenting them with pitchforks and stuff like that. Well, <laughs> I had an epiphany a little while back about the book of Revelation, because I've read the book of Revelation, the entire book, multiple times. So there's portions of the book that I that I remember that sticks out to me. And one of those parts that sticks out to me is where it says that the dragon, Satan, is going to be destroyed in the lake mm-hmm. of fire and brimstone. Okay, yep. so if Satan's going to be destroyed, how's he going to be down there tormenting people? Yeah, and where did he get the fish for? And why didn't the handle exactly. burn up? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, good point. Yeah. And if if it's that hot, why why do the tines not bend? You know, I, you you're you're running a risk, Thomas, of of ending up wasting a lot of time on something that doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Exactly. Uh, that's that's my whole point. Why do people they perpetuate a myth that you know it's like you things gonna be destroyed because it's almost like. Believers took more, they they pumped Satan up like this all-powerful being, but they're missing yeah. the point in that he draws his power from us because mm-hmm. we, through our fears and our unbelief, as you said, that's where he gets his power. So that's just a yeah. little question that I was just curious about. Well, I yeah. mean, I, I talk to the girls all the time, and I always tell them, you know, and my biggest thing is I use the book of Job because that scripture where it's speaking on what I feared the most happens. Now, most people are looking at it going, oh, no, oh, no, he has power, he has power, he has power in the word that you give him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because the Bible says you angels excel in, I go back to this all the time, the angels excel in strength when you speak the word of God. So if you're not speaking the word of God, what are you speaking? Exactly. You know, it's like the, in the book of Samuel, because I'm doing a study on the book of Samuel, so I'm going to go there. The Bible says that as he grew, his words never fell to the ground. Well, please explain to me why didn't they fall to the ground? Oh, I know, because he spoke the word of God. 
Right. And instead of dropping his words, instead of his words dropping to the ground so Satan can open those doors, it raised up and the angels took it to, I mean, I'm just, this is my little imagination. I'm just going to go there. Angels took those words up to the heaven and said, God, here's he spe- he's speaking again. I mean, come, let's, let's see what we can do to change the world. Let's see what we can do to change by speaking the word, can we imagine if at least 10 Christians in every city began to speak the word of God? Just 10. I'm not asking for 100. 10 people every day speak yeah. the word of God, live the word of God, and walk in God's truth. What could happen in this world? Exactly. <laughs> That's my exactly. That's, you know, and people well, are like, mm-hmm. go ahead. You know, I was going to say, well, Pastor John, we want to give you a week off because you're going to be down in a little place in Florida for a little while. Um, yeah. You might even run into little old me along the uh-huh. way, but you know. <laughs> anyway, um, but not this Sunday, but uh, Sunday after next when you're back home. Can you come back for another lesson? Because I'm telling you, I have not had this much fun learning since I went to church with you. So, well, there you go. Yeah, I can do that. So, so, we'll so you don't Sunday you don't want to you don't want to do next Sunday. Well, you will you, you will already be here in Florida though. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. So we'll just kind of take a break. Or I might have Tahi do the message if she would like next Sunday. I bet she'd uh, do good. Tahi, would you would you like to do the message next Sunday? I can do the message next Sunday. You can? Yes, I can. Well, you got a deal then. (laughs) Having said that, folks, we have had a phenomenal, phenomenal show today. My spiritual father in the faith, Pastor John Anderson, my spiritual sister in the faith, this woman teaches the word of God, and she is a powerful influence on on the young ladies that she ministers to, and just keep this in mind. And I was just thinking about this this morning, and this is a message to any United States congressmen or women or senators who might be listening in. To serve, the word ministry means to serve. To those of you who are in Washington, you're supposed to, your job is actually supposed to be a ministry. Just a little something to think about. Mm-hmm. So, having said <laughs> that, we are going to play and end with angels' worship and praise. Pastor John, love you to pieces. I will see you Wednesday when you get here. Right. I like the plan. Love you. Love you to pieces, my sister, and I will see you, well, I will hear you next Sunday. So, All right. Um, okay. All right. Be blessed, you y'all. all have a good night. Go ahead. Go All ahead, right, Diana. Good night. No, I just said be blessed, y'all. All right. All right. You be blessed, too, and you keep keep loving on those girls. I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm proud Thank of you. you. I know sir. you don't. Expect thanks for that, but uh, 
thanks are due. Jesus is going to thank you when you get to heaven anyway. So just kind of, kind of helping you get used to that. Oops. <laughs> thank you so much. All righty.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.